0: Well, good evening, Burlington Baptist Church and I would have to say good evening, First Church of Christ. (laughs) (laughs) I was waiting for the offering (laughs) because we are in a Baptist church. I've never I've never seen a Baptist church not take an offering. I've been preaching in Baptist churches, and I've learned two things about you, Baptist. You pay really well. <laughs> pay really well. I should have taken this up a little while ago. <laughs> well, I am honored to be here. I really am. I'm honored to be anywhere, but uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm honored to be here. I really, really am, and I appreciate, I appreciate the uh, Nick invited me to do this. It is an honor. Let's pray. Father, pour through me now the gift of preaching. Take these human words and use them to speak to us tonight. And give each of us just the message you want us to hear. We pray in the name of Jesus. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. I believe in a hill call Mount Calvary. Sing it with me. I believe in a hill called Mount Calvary. I'll believe whatever the cost. And when time has surrendered and our time is no more, I'll still cling to the old rugged cross. I believe in a hill called Mount Calvary, but why? John Stott is my favorite scholar and one of my favorite preachers. And in his classic book, The Cross of Christ, he says this, the fact that a cross becomes the Christian symbol and that Christians stubbornly refuse in spite of ridicule to discard it in favor of something less offensive, can only have one explanation. It means that the centrality of the cross originated in the mind of Jesus Himself. It was out of loyalty to Him that His followers clung so doggedly to this sign. But we are still left with the question... Why does Christianity have a cross? Let me try as best I can to answer that tonight. And the first one is this. The cross reveals how evil sin is. The cross reveals how evil sin is. Look at Romans, Romans 6.23 on the screen. For the wages of sin, and what's the word? Death. Death. James 1.5. Then desire when it has conceived gives birth to sin... And when sin is fully grown, it it brings forth what? Death. Death. The cross reveals how evil sin is. On April the 19th, 1995, 168 people died when Timothy McVeigh parked a truck that he had converted into a bomb in front of the Alfred P. Murian Federal Building in Oklahoma City. In sentencing him, they had people come to the jury and tell the jury what his evil vengeance had done to them, his evil vengeance against the federal government, and how he had left their lives in shambles. One of those ladies was a lady by the name of Sharon Coney. And she told the court how guilty she felt going home that night when her little daughter, Jackie Ray, remained trapped in the daycare center in that bombed building. She told the jury this. She's been there 12 hours. She's in a dirty diaper. She didn't have a bottle. She didn't have me to hold her, and she was afraid. And I could picture her saying, Mama, Mama, and I felt so guilty leaving that place. Seven days later, they found little Jackie Ray's body. And her mama told the court, I got to hold her wrapped in a beautiful receiving blanket made by my friend Joyce. And that's the last thing that I held. Now, does listening to Sharon's heartache tell you something of how evil sin is? The memories of 9-11 will forever be burned into our memories. 3,000 innocent people were murdered on that horrible day. I will never forget the prayer service at the National Cathedral. It gave the nation a time to weep, a time to weep for the victims, and a time to weep for our nation. I will never forget the 9-11 memorial service at Yankee Stadium. The camera zeroed in on a little boy. He looked like he was about six or seven. He had an eight by ten photo of his dead father in his hands. He was sitting on his mama's lap, and he was crying so hard his little body was jerking. Folks, over 3,000 children lost a parent on 9-11. 1,300 children lost both parents in 9-11. And now, the news every night tells us what radical Islam is doing to our world beheading Christians, raping young girls, sex slavery, 128 killed in Paris, 31 killed in Brussels, 300 of them wounded really bad. There was, a, there was a Catholic organization that testified before the United Nations that 100,000 Christians a year now are being martyred. Those terrible events reveal how evil sin is. But not very far from here, on May the 30th, 2011, Peggy and Bill Stevenson were brutally murdered in their home in Oak Brook. And many of you knew them and loved them. Now, if you knew them, they were wonderful, wonderful people. They were both very active in the Union Baptist Church. Uh, She played the organ for years. Bill was a deacon there. But what Bill did, Bill led the ministry of the Trucker's Chapel at the T.A. truck stop. And Gary Greiser served in there with Bill. And Gary told me that Bill set a goal of winning 52 truckers a year to the Lord. And if he only won 48, he felt like a failure. But these wonderful people right here in our county, right here in our community, were brutally, brutally murdered and no one knows why. Now, does that tell you how evil sin is? See, folks... The cross of Jesus is the ultimate testimony of how evil is. But I will be very honest with you. I do not have to look at Jeff McGay. I do not have to go back to 9-11. I do not have to look at the evil that Islam, uh, radical Islam is doing. I don't even have to look at the brutal murder of the Stevensons. I don't have to do that to see how evil is. <laughs> All I have to do to see how evil is, is look at my own sinful nature. Mark Twain said this, Everybody is a moon and has a dark side which he never shows to anybody. Hmm. Jesus said this. This is how Jesus described us. He said, For from within, out of a person's heart come evil thoughts... Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, wickedness, deceit, lustful desires, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. All these vile things come from where? Within. And they are what defile you. Wow. That's not a pretty sight, is it? Chuck Swindoll in his book Growing Deeper said this. Just think about your life the past several days. Think inwardly and not outwardly. More than likely, you behaved yourself rather well externally, but not from within. Call to mind the impulses, the drives, the secrets, the motives behind the actions you lived out. Perhaps a few of them did service, but most of your dark side remained hidden to the public. Wow. All I have to do, all you have to do to see the evil of sin is look at our own sinful nature. John Stott said this, My sin is foul beyond words. If there was no way for our sin to be cleansed and forgiven, but that the Son of God should die for these sins, then they must be foul indeed. It is impossible for us to look at the cross and look at it with integrity And not be ashamed of our sinful selves. Jesus died because of our human sinfulness. Why does Christianity have a cross? The cross reveals how evil sin is. But the cross reveals how great God's love is. Folks, Jesus came to planet earth on a search and rescue mission. And to accomplish that mission, he knew what was ahead of him. He came knowing that he would have to give his life for the evilness of sin. And he came knowing that only the great love of God could counter the evilness of sin. Look what Paul says in Romans 5. When we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. Now, most people would not be willing to die for an upright person, though some, someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who is especially good. But look at verse 8. But God showed His great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. The cross reveals how great God's love is. A number of years ago, in a southern state... Billy Graham was pulled over for speeding. Can you imagine? And the officer said to him, he said, "Uh, Mr. Graham, I'm going to have to take you to court. And he did. And the judge said, Mr. Graham, how do you plead, guilty or not guilty? Guilty, Your Honor, I was going too fast. And the judge hammered his gavel, and he said, Billy, that will be a $10 fine, $1 for every time, every mile you were over the speed limit. And while he was doing that, he reached into his pocket, pulled out his wallet, and he said, Billy, I'm going to pay your fine, and then you and I are going to go to lunch, and I'm going to buy you a steak. <laughs> and Billy said, that's how God treats repentant sinners. He pays the debt, Billy said, and then he pours blessings on top of them, unable f- God was unable to declare us innocent because we had broken God's law. God had to pronounce us guilty. And then he imposed the law's full penalty on us, death. But we didn't have to pay the debt. The judge paid the debt. Jesus went to the cross and paid our penalty. Now, during his lifetime, Jesus said, greater love has no man than this, than to someone to lay down his life for his, what's the word? Friends. Then what did Jesus do? Jesus proceeded to turn that proverb on its head by dying for his enemies. See, folks, Christianity has this cross because it reminds us of the, the incredible, incredible love that God had for His enemies. Not His friends, but us, His enemies. So why does Christianity have a cross? The cross reveals how evil sin is. The cross reveals how great God's love is. And the cross reveals where God is. The cross reveals where God is. I want to tell you, in two texts I can prove that to you. Look at Matthew 1. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. Which means what? God with us. God with us. Where is God? God with us. John 1.14 in the message It says, the word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. Don't you like that? Call his name Jesus. He's God with us. He became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood with us. Why? So he could share our pain. So he would know what death was like. So he would know what suffering and loneliness and rejection is like. God With us, he moved into the neighborhood. Have you ever been lied about? Have you ever been abandoned by someone you loved and someone you trusted? Have you ever been so misunderstood? God is with you, he moved into the neighborhood to help you with that. Have you ever experienced prejudice because of your race or your religion? Or your politics, or your sex, or maybe it was a physical or mental disability. Has that ever happened to you? God is with you. Emmanuel, call his name Emmanuel. He is with us. He moved into the neighborhood. Have you ever suffered a gross injustice? Huh. Young college startup was hired at your company. And he walked all over you to have the promotion that you should have had. Your spouse had an affair. God is with you in that injustice. The great preacher Barbara Brown Taylor says this in her book, God in Pain. The good news of God in Christ is that when the bottom has fallen out from under you... When you have crashed through all your safety nets and you can hear the bottom rushing up to meet you, the good news is that you cannot fall further than God can catch you. (laughs) Amen. Now, I don't know what is going on in your life tonight, but I can assure you on the authority of God's Word, I can assure you because of the cross that Jesus Christ, God is with you us he moved in to the neighborhood to share our suffering a man decided to take a shortcut across a muddy field and he slipped and he fell in a deep deep pit and he tried his best to get out and he couldn't get out and he called for help 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 and people started coming by to help him a pop psychologist passed by and said I feel your pain. I empathize with you down there in that pit. <laughs> a TV talk show host came by and said, Well, if you get out of the pit, if you get out of the pit, uh, you can come and be on my show. <laughs> a religious fanatic happened by and looked down in the pit and said, Man, oh man, you must have sinned a great sin. Only bad people like you fall into pits like that. <laughs> what did you do? A news reporter rushed by and said can I have the exclusive story on your pit experience? An IRS agent came by and said, have you paid your taxes on the pit? A neurotic came by and said, well, you think your pit's bad, you ought to see mine. An optimist came by and said, oh, things could be worse. A pessimist came by and said, things will get worse. And then a man came along, and he saw the guy's problem, and his heart went out to him. And he bent over, and he reached down with both of his hands and pulled him out of that deep, deep pit. And the rescue man thanked him and thanked this kind stranger and thanked him and thanked him. And then he ran into town to tell everyone what happened and how he was saved from the pit. Well, how did you get out? Well, a kind stranger, a gracious man, came by and pulled me out. Well, who was this man? Well, it was Jesus. Well, how do you know that it was Jesus? I know it was Jesus because he had nail prints in his hands. Folks, we do not have to reinvent the wheel when it comes to salvation like so many are trying to do today. All we have to do for salvation is to reach out and take those nail-scarred hands. Amen? Amen. God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. Why? To become God with us. To move into the neighborhood. To die and be buried and raised from the dead so that He could reach down with those nail-scarred hands and pull us out of our deep, deep pit. And I want to tell you, because of Calvary, no one can raise an accusing fist at God and say, you don't know what it's like down here. No one can accuse God of keeping himself above the fray. I I listened to a sermon uh, last Sunday morning before I came to church. And it was my favorite preacher, John Stott. And it was a sermon on evil. And this is what he said. And boy, it really it really it really it really really gave me some good sermon material, but it really helped. It really helped. Listen what he said. Listen what this he said. Only a suffering God can help us. Amen. Then he went on and he made this statement. If it wasn't for the cross, I couldn't believe in God. Now, think about that. Think about that. If it wasn't for the cross, I couldn't believe in God. And I thought, stop, what are you saying? Then he went on to say, why? Suffering, injustice, evil, death are more manageable when you see them in the light of the cross. Hmm, I wish I could preach like that. Bill Gaither has a wonderful little song that says, he came down to our level when we couldn't get up to His. With a strong arm, He lifted us up to show us what living is. He wants to make your life worth living. That's what He came down for. So the cross reveals to us where God is. He is Emmanuel, God with us. He is A person who moved right into our neighborhood, right into the neighborhood, to reveal to us where he is. Well, let's do a little review. Take a breath. Let's do a little review. There will be a test. (laughs) Look at the screen. Say them with me. The cross reveals how evil sin is. All right, here we go. There you go. There you go. The cross reveals how evil sin is. The cross reveals how great God's love is. And the cross reveals where God is. And then the cross reveals how powerful God's grace is. I think we would all agree tonight, no argument about it, that the ultimate human problem is a sin problem. Would you agree with that? See, sin has separated us from God. Our sin makes it impossible for us to enter heaven unless the sin is removed. And removing that sin and its effect from our human heart is roughly compared to trying to unscramble a scrambled egg. And no more can a scrambled egg be unscrambled than we can undo our sins. We can't turn back the clock. We can't remake a bad decision. We can't undo a choice that we made and wish a million, million times we hadn't made it. And it doesn't matter if we promise never to do it again. The egg is scrambled. And the only cure is a new you, a new me. One of my favorite actors is Harrison Ford. And one of my favorite movies him. Well, I like those others that he runs through. He almost gets killed by everything. But one of his old movies that you may not even have heard of is called Regarding Henry. It's good. It's old, but it's good. And it is one of Hollywood's Best ways and best jobs of doing theology without realizing it. And that movie regarding Henry addresses the question how do you fix a jerk? Stay with me. (laughs) Henry Turner is a lawyer, he has no principles. He's This is the main character in the movie. And he wants to win cases no matter what he has to do. And in the trial, and that's in the opening scene, he wins a case only because he withheld important evidence that would have caused him to lose the case. Henry is married. His wife's name is Sarah. But Henry's having an affair with a woman in the office, and they go to the Ritz Carlton Hotel twice a week. He has a young daughter named Sarah, a Rachel, and the only contribution that Henry makes to her life is criticism and scolding, and he scares her to death. Henry Turner is a grade A certified jerk. Henry goes into a convenience store to buy some cigarettes. He walks in on a robbery. And the nervous thief, young kid, points the gun at him, fires two shots, one hits him in the chest, and the other one hits him in the head and penetrates the frontal lobe of his brain. At the hospital, Henry lingers for days between life and death. But he survives. Because he had had a cardiac arrest, the blood supply cut off to his brain, and because of the trauma to his brain, when he woke up, he had no memory of his present life. He did not know who his wife was, he didn't know Sarah, he did not know Rachel. He did not know the people that he worked with. He did not know that he was a lawyer. He, he could not recognize a thing when he went into his house. And the doctors told his wife, in some ways, he's starting from scratch. Henry had to learn to talk again. He had to learn to feed himself again. His little daughter taught him how to tie his shoes. He had to start living, learn to live again. His daughter taught him to read by reading children's books to him. She taught him how to read the product labels. Henry learns to play with his little daughter and enjoy her for the first time in his life. Henry falls in love with Sarah. And he leaves the law firm. He says, "I, I just don't want to do that anymore. And he makes public the, the, the material that he had hidden to win the case. And he goes to the couple and he apologizes to them. Now, by the time that movie ends, Henry is as lovable as he was despicable at the beginning of the movie. And the man you would not wanted to have turned your back on two hours earlier is now the sort of guy that you'd like to hang out with. The kind of guy that you would love. The kind of guy you'd like to have as a neighbor. The kind of guy you'd like to have as a friend. And the point of the movie to me is abundantly clear. Jerks can't be fixed. Jerks have to go back and start all over. Back to zero and start over. They have to be killed and raised again, and miraculously reborn. And that is the biblical message all along, all along about jerks, also known as sinners. Sinners cannot be fixed. They can only be fixed by dying and being buried and raising again from the dead. Look what Paul said. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has become gone. And all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. Look at this. For God made Christ who never sinned to be the offering for our sin. So that we could be made right with God through Christ. See, the cross reveals how powerful God's grace is. The cross tells us that us jerks, us sinners, can be made new. And we don't have to do the fixing. The fixing has already took place. God, in the cross, solved our sin problem. And Jesus, on the cross, did everything so that we jerks, we sinners, could die and be born again and be new creatures in Christ Jesus. The cross reveals how great God's grace is. God takes us jerks. He takes us sinners and turns us into saints. So, why does Christianity have a cross? The cross reveals how evil sin is, the cross reveals how great God's love is, and the cross reveals where God is. He moved into the neighborhood. And the cross reveals how powerful God's grace is. I believe in a hill called Mount Calvary. Let's sing it again. I believe in a hill called Mount Calvary. I'll believe whatever the cost. And when time has surrendered and time is no more, I'll still cling to the old rugged cross. Will you bow your heads with me, please? And before I pray, maybe in this quietness You need to you need to reflect upon Good Friday and why Christianity has a cross. We reflect on that just a few minutes. Father, I pray that you will touch us with fresh faith so that we can believe that the very pain of Jesus was for our salvation. Oh, Father, on this Good Friday, waken our dead hearts so that we may know and feel that we are loved with the deepest, strongest, purest love in the universe, the very love of God. Father, open our eyes to the vastness of Christ's suffering. Open our eyes to what that means for us, and, and and open our eyes tonight to know what our sin is and holiness is but also father open our eyes tonight to see what hope is in you and what heaven and what heaven means to us tonight in the great and wonderful and powerful name of the lamb of god who takes away our sins i pray and all god's people said Amen. Tonight, if you are not a Christian and you would like to accept Jesus Christ into your life as your Lord and Savior, tonight you have been told the gospel, you've been told the good news of what God in Christ has done for your salvation. But you have to accept it. So tonight, if you never have, if you will come down to where I am, there are deacons here that will help you Make that decision. If you have never been baptized. If you will come forward. As an act of obedience. You want to obey Jesus. I like what. I like what Nick said the other day. Jesus said do it. Why wouldn't you want to do it? So if you've never done it. Why don't you come. If you'd like to become a member of the, of the Burlington Baptist Church. There'll be deacons here to help you. Make that decision as well. And if you'd like to pray on these steps, or if you'd like one of the deacons to pray with you, just come. Don't be embarrassed. Just come. And they'll pray with you, or you can pray there by yourself. Let's stand. Let's sing.